You're listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santa's Health. Hi, everyone. My name is Ross Wallace, and I'm a principal here at Santa's Health. Today, we're discussing our changing healthcare needs and how organizations are innovating and collaborating to redefine, refocus, and reimagine people-centered care. Before we get started, I want to introduce our guest. Today, I'm joined by Bernard Lord, Chief Executive Officer of Medivy. In his role, Bernard provides strategic leadership to further the organization's mission of improving the well-being of Canadians. Previously, Bernard spent almost a decade on the board of Medivy, was president and CEO of the Canadian Wireless Telecommunications Association, and served as Premier of New Brunswick from 1999 to 2006. He sits on boards of several companies and organizations, and most recently was appointed as chair of the International Federation of Health Plans. Bernard, thanks for joining us today. Ross, thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Uh, as are we, so so we appreciate it. Um, let's let's jump in right at the very beginning. Can you, uh, for folks who are a bit less familiar with Medivy than sure. many of us are, can you introduce the organization and talk a little bit about its key role in supporting healthcare in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel very blessed and privileged in many ways of leading such an organization as Medivy. Medivy is a unique organization in the Canadian healthcare landscape. So as you mentioned earlier, our mission is to improve the well-being of Canadians. That's what we're focused on every single day. Our mission is to be a trusted health solutions partner. So we we partner with individuals, with uh, employers, with groups, with governments to improve health and well-being of of people. And specifically, we do that. We are the largest uh, Blue Cross in Canada through Medivy Blue Cross, and we administer individual and group health benefits, dental uh, life and disability plans for, for employers is we cover probably uh, one in 12 Canadians or so uh, under our, our Blue Cross uh, plan. And we also manage Medivy Health Services and Medivy Health Services is the largest sector provider of paramedic care in Canada. And we also have, uh, we, we run extramural programs, uh, 811 programs. We have our own uh, paramedic school. Uh, so we, we also train paramedics, not only for ourselves, but other uh, providers in, in the market, but as well for the armed forces in, in Canada. So we train the paramedics for the Canadian armed forces. We do it in both official languages. So all in all, Medivy operates, uh, we have physical operations in nine of the 10 provinces. We have customers and clients and partners in all 10 provinces, all three territories. And we have about 7,500 employees uh, from coast to coast. But more importantly, we have a dedicated group of people that are focused on improving the well-being of Canadians. Um, Bernard, as you reflect on kind of the geographic and the sort of um, subsectoral breadth of Medivy, I mean, you, you cover a lot of ground at every, every which way you define sort of that notion. Um, you know, we're coming towards the end, we hope, of, of sort of probably two of the most dynamic, challenging, complex years of, of sort of frontline healthcare service delivery. Um, when Medivy and, and you from your leadership position, when you reflect back on these last two years, um, what are the key sort of lessons or learnings that, that you're taking away in terms of the challenges that, that Canada has faced and the ways in which you think organizations like Medivy are, are pivoting to address them? Well, I, I think um, a lot of us have learned quite a lot in the last two years. I, I'm, I'm not as optimistic as you are, Ross. I, I think this is going yeah. to continue for quite some time. And so we, um, but what we, what we learn is we all need to adapt and we, we need to be flexible and, and we need some humility as well, that we don't know everything. We may not understand everything. So, um, you know, quickly on within Medivy as the, 
we, we started planning for the pandemic. Uh, well, actually, we have plans for pandemics in our system way before the pandemic hit. But back mm-hmm. in December of 2019, uh, so about uh, you know two and a half months before it hit, really hit Canada, we started sensing something was happening in China. So we updated our pandemic plans and we we got ready to to plan as best as we could. But even those plans had to be adapted. And that's that's one of the key things that we uh, I think we all learned through this is we need to to plan ahead. But the plans may not always be perfect, and therefore we need to adapt and be flexible. And when you look specifically what it means for healthcare, well, we realize how important healthcare and public health are in a pandemic, of course. And for us as an organization that delivers, uh, you know, our, our business and our, our work is in healthcare, we knew that we needed to be ready for the pandemic because people, our partners, would depend on us mm. in this pandemic. And here we are 20 months in, and that's still the case today. And that that's meant that we needed to accelerate a lot of the improvements and changes and innovation that we had planned to take several years, took a few months. And and we're not alone. I've seen a lot of others in, in the sector that have done the same thing. And frankly, we've seen it in a lot of sectors of our economy and public activity where people needed to accelerate their transformation and bring new innovation and just, you know, simple things. You, you look today, uh, you know, if I look at our Medivy Blue Cross operations uh, where we have more or less 2,200 employees that work in that segment um, for a long while, we had 99% of our people working from home right now. It's probably close to between 90 and 95% people working remotely. If you would have told us and asked us two years ago, is it possible for you to do everything you do with 95% of your people working remotely, most of our leaders will say, oh, that's a stretch. It would take a long time to organize that. Well, we did in a few weeks. And uh, by the time we pulled the trigger, it just took a couple of days and, and people were home. And, and that was early March of 2020. So that is just one example that when necessity is there, we know we can improve very, very quickly. And when we look at the challenges that we are all facing in healthcare, not only right now, but what we will be facing post-pandemic or if the pandemic turns into an endemic, whatever that, how that evolves over the next decade and beyond, I think there's one lesson we can learn is that we need to adapt quickly and we don't need to wait for the crisis to, to bring about the changes that are necessary to adapt to the changing reality. So it's interesting, as, as, you're, as you're talking, Bernard, there's lots of different things that I, I want to uh, build on your comments, but maybe I'll start by sort of throwing this concept of resilience at you. So one of the things that um, I'm involved in is an organization called the Resilient Healthcare Coalition that's um, sort of a cross-sectoral community of collaborators who are interested in figuring out how we, how we build more sort of flexibility um, how we build more resilience, how we how we build more um, sort of adaptability into healthcare systems across the country. I would imagine, from your perspective, given uh, the number of parts of healthcare that you touch and see up close, the number of jurisdictions that you're proximate to, um, that this notion of sort of health system resilience is probably one that that resonates with you. When you think about some of the areas of of um, of kind of reform or improvement that could most ensure that when the next pandemic comes, something you're already sort of thinking about, um, that we're better prepared then than we were before. Um, what are some of those areas that, that jump to mind for you? Well, there's another word I, I would add to, to your list. And that's, and I think you, you mentioned it indirectly, is capacity. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we will need more capacity, whether it's for the next pandemic or this ongoing pandemic that 
becomes an endemic or whether it's just facing the, the challenge of an aging population. Um, you know, we've talked about, I, I remember when I was a, a young student at university 35 years ago or so taking my first economics class, I studied economics um, and, you know, spending some time on demographics. And it seemed obvious to me 35 years ago that we would face an aging population. Well, here we are. It's, it's coming to Canada. And some, in, in fact, when you look around the world, there are very few countries that are aging faster than Canada. And we have regions in Canada. And I think, you know, my home province of, of New Brunswick, that is among the fastest aging areas in the world. Okay. So that means there's, there's a change to come. And, and it's not only the aging population itself. So the, the patients and the people that will need the service but as well, the people that are providing the service. So when you look within the system, whether it's nurses, doctors, health professionals, pharmacists, paramedics, they're also aging. So that means that to meet the growing demand with the challenge on supply that we're going to face, that means we need to innovate. There's just no other way around it. And frankly, the other thing to keep in mind is it's not just people are getting older. There are new treatments new medications that are available today, some that are not yet available today that will be available in a few years that are just miracle. You know, they're, they're miracle procedures, miracle drugs. So we need to factor all that in. And frankly, when I go back to my public service days, when I was premier of New Brunswick, you know, 20 years ago, and you go to that point and you look at the healthcare that was provided then, if we were to provide that healthcare today, all governments would have a surplus. But what's happened is there's new treatments and new drugs and Canadians want that and they deserve it. There's no reason why we shouldn't have that. But that means we need to adapt how we look. And it can't just simply be, you know, as the old saying, uh, when Henry Ford asked, said, if I would have asked um, his, his customers what they wanted, they would have said they needed a faster horse. So it can't just be taking the system that we have now, or let alone the system we had 20 years ago, and just trying to improve it on the margin. Let's feed that horse a little bit more and train it a little bit more. It won't be enough. It really requires a shift in thinking. It requires real innovation and doing things differently than what we have done in the past to make sure that Canadians have access to the care that they need when they need it at a cost that we can all afford, and which includes pharmaceuticals. So all that is a changing environment. But the beauty of this, this is, and I view this as one of the greatest challenges of this generation. And I viewed that before the pandemic, you add on the pandemic, then it may very well be, you know, that and climate change are among the, the top challenges of this generation. How do we provide care for an aging population? But if we're successful, I mean, the, the, the payoff is so great. It means that people live longer, they live healthier, they live better lives, more productive lives. And frankly, it's hard to beat that payoff. Uh, as, as, you know, the impact it has on a community, on a province or country, or even on the world. You, um, you, you know, it's interesting, there's lots of conversations, and, and we've talked about it a little bit even, about the question of sort of demand for healthcare. Um, but, but you have an interesting perspective, because you're also in the business of the supply yes. of healthcare. And I want to come back to your sort of question about, about um, the sort of demographic dynamics, not just in patients, but in the providers who deliver such significant care. And, you know, I imagine that you are seeing all sorts of, of um, kind of challenging uh, examples of the sort of burnout that frontline workers are facing, the stresses they've been under, the, the challenges that, that they're hoping to put behind them. Um, and, you know, you are, I'm sure, in some ways in a bit of a war for talent. 
Um, and, you know, as you think about kind of how you attract and retain the people you need to build the company you want to lead, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? How going forward uh, today and tomorrow, are you going to make Medivy the kind of place that people continue to fight to be a part of? So an interesting question. Let, let me just say, uh, let, let me tackle this question from two fronts. One is on the, the demand and supply of care. And then secondly, what are we doing precisely within Medivy? So for, for a long time, governments tried to manage, um, they, they, they had a hard time managing the demand of healthcare, but they certainly tried to manage supply. And if you go back 25 years, 30 years ago, Governments cut back on training nurses and training doctors, and we put a cap because, and the reason for that is a lot of governments are concerned by the cost of healthcare. And I give this example in the, you know, I was Premier of New Brunswick from 1999 to 2006. We tabled seven or eight budgets. You take all those budgets combined, um, 100% of the increase in spending went to healthcare and 20% went to education and everything else had to be compressed. Yeah. To be able to fund that. So governments and, you know, we, we'd have first ministers meeting. So the premiers and, and the prime minister may have been, or you'd have all the finance ministers meeting. The top topic was 20 years ago, healthcare. And it still is today. So governments were obsessed to how to deliver all the other services and manage. And, you know, you want to cut taxes, you want to balance budgets, all these other competing priorities. So there was an effort uh, at times to how do we manage uh, demand, how do we become more efficient? And some of that translates to actually curbing supply, because by curbing supply, you could actually reduce, you don't reduce the demand, but you certainly reduce the the, the service. Yeah. And frankly, I, I never thought it was the right way to look at this. You know, I, I hear some people say we need to cap spending on healthcare to whether seven, eight, nine, whatever percent you want to pick of GDP. I think it's wrong, uh, because simply as we are aging as a population and we're becoming more prosperous. And I think that prosperity, that's another, we can have another discussion on that. We need prosperity to fund healthcare, but it's normal for us as there's more uh, demand for service and more possible uh, treatments and medication and things that we can do that a part of growing part of our economy will be healthcare. It's only normal. It's, it's, it's natural. I expect it to grow and to try to cap it, I think is a disservice to patients and families and to Canadians. But that being said, it should not all fall on the government. And that's why you need private sector and other non-for-profit. You know, technically we are a non-for-profit organization. We, but we are large, large non, non-for-profit. So we need that in the mix to bring innovation to be able to serve patients and people better. Now, you, you mentioned the supply issue. So we are at a war for talent, if you will. We're competing for talent within Medivy, whether it's paramedics, whether it's nurses, whether it's pharmacists. It's also true for you know, accountants, for, for marketing officials. It, it's just the nature of the labor force right now. Top talent are wanted in key organization, and, and we need that. So we're, we want to make sure. So part of our overall strategy is continuing to improve not only the patient and our customer experience, but also the employee experience. We want people to work for Medivy because they're aligned with our goals and our purpose of improving the well-being of Canadians. And we also want them to share our values, which are to be a caring, accountable, responsive, community-minded, and innovative organization. And then, of course, you need to add compensation, you know, you know, people still have to pay their mortgage and feed their families and put their kids to school and so on. So it's it's that package. And frankly, I'm hoping that at some point, it may not be that point today, that anyone that works for us, 
I hope that if they decided to leave, that they could get three other jobs tomorrow. But the reason they choose to work for us is because they're aligned with our goals and our values and they have good compensation. Because I think top talented people look for a purpose. They don't just want a job. They want to do something that is significant for their community. And they can find that within Medivy. And you know, not to toot our own horn too much, but we've been recognized just this month as one of the top 100 employers uh, in Canada. We've also been recognized this month as having one of the uh, most admired corporate cultures uh, in Canada. So those are great, but we don't take that for granted. And we certainly don't want to be complacent with that. We know there's ongoing improvements that are needed. And what we've learned in the last uh, 20 months of this pandemic is we need to be even more flexible and find innovative ways to help people deal with the stress. Because part of the question you mentioned, Ross, you, you talked about the stress. The first part of the pandemic, the biggest concern we had was making sure we would have enough uh, uh, personal protection equipment for our frontline staff to make sure that they could protect themselves, make sure they could protect the patients, and make sure that they wouldn't catch a virus and take it home to their families. And that was a concern for our frontline workers as it was for us. And through our, our teams and with other partners, we were able to make sure we'd have the, the personal protection equipment. So that's the environment that we live in and, and that we work in. There's a great challenge, but I, I sense it's a wonderful opportunity. And with innovation, dedication, um, a lot of talented people working together, we can solve these problems and improve the care and improve the well-being of the people that we serve. Congratulations on those awards. Uh, that's that's fantastic to hear. Um, and you know, as as you're reflecting on sort of the importance of people within your organization, it makes me think a little bit about the the concepts of sort of partnership and collaboration. I mean, no matter how broad you are, or how many folks you have, or or how embedded you are in the systems that you serve. Um, there are so many other things that you will not be able to do yourselves, but that need to be done as part of an integrated solution to healthcare needs. And so I'm sure you have countless examples of um, times when you have, over the course of the last couple of years, um, developed new approaches to new partnerships, new collaborations for new challenges. Um, and, and I'm guessing coming out of that, you will have a few reflections on uh, on the importance of partnership and collaboration and, and maybe your, some thoughts on how to take those principles and further embed them into the system we want to build uh, as we move from pandemic to in- endemic using, using your language. I, I completely agree on, on the importance of partnerships and it is essential to our success as an organization. I believe it's essential to our success as a, as a society. And as these challenges are becoming more complex than they were before to find the best solution You can't just rely on one organization, certainly can't rely on just one person or even one type of expertise. So bringing the the key knowledge and talent and expertise together is essential to building the solutions that are required for the challenges that we face. And when when I said earlier that we view Medivy as a, a trusted health solutions partner, not only are we a partner for the people that we serve, so whether it's an individual, a group, an employer, a government, but we also see ourselves as a partner with other people that share the same objective, that have other expertise that can be combined with, uh, with ours to better serve people. So you know, we've, we've launched some new services in, in different provinces uh, at the request of governments where we are, are combining uh, for instance, uh, 911, so emergency transportation with 
better community care, because in many cases, our preference would be if it's a real emergency, of course, we want to transport people to the hospital. But a lot of times those calls are not real emergencies. It's people that don't know where else to call. And it becomes an emergency for them because this is their outlet. This is how they can get service. And so we want to divert those calls to instead of transporting them to a hospital to the care that they actually need. So we combine that with community medical care. And we're looking at adding technology to include with that remote uh, and virtual, uh, whether it's telemedicine or other types of care. And those are types of solutions. When I look at what we've done for uh, our employers through our Blue Cross offering, so we brought in um, mental health experts as part of our offering. So there's things that we can't develop inside, or even if we did, it would take longer. Others have done it. And we partner with those other providers to supply that service to our group uh, um, partners, so large employers. The same with virtual care. We did not develop internally the virtual care capacity, even though we manage it for, in some cases, for government, but we also provide it for our our group benefits and our individual uh, benefits as well. Those types of partnerships are key. If you know, organizations that think that they can do it all on their own will take a lot of time, will spend a lot of money. I truly believe that when you can establish right partnerships, you can provide the service faster, you can do it more efficiently, and that is beneficial for the people that we try to serve. And whether that's an employee in a group, that's a citizen on behalf of the government or a patient in a healthcare system. Bernard, you talked a little bit about technology, and obviously one of one of the things that this most recent disruption has kind of shone a spotlight on is is the incredible power and opportunity and complexities and challenges of technology overlaid against healthcare. And and you will have seen elements of this in in your previous role, and certainly in this one. How do you determine? How does Medivy determine what technological tools it's going to need to address some of these challenges? And then and then where do you go to get them? Yeah. So um, three points on that. One, one is, uh, yes, I completely agree with the premise of the question. <laughs> the, uh, you know, some, some days I, I remember, um, you know, as a child watching Star Trek and seeing things on oh, blow your mind when you're 10 or 11 years old in the 70s and so on. And you look today and what we're living is actually better. Not other than the fact we're not in outer space, we're, we're on Earth. But the technology that we use is, is even better than some of the things they had in, in in science fiction just 30, 40 years ago. And we're just scratching the surface. You know, if you, if you look at what's happened in this pandemic and the fact that within a year, there were viable, really efficient vaccines that had been developed and there were competing vaccines, which is great as well. Um, and, and so you see that how technology and science was able to, within a year, find not a complete solution, but a, a, an important part of a solution to help reduce the risk of the COVID-19 virus. That's one example. So because of the pandemic, we everyone started looking at how do you provide care using technology? And so re- remote care, so what we now call, you know, Zoom care or Zoom meetings, things that barely existed in Canada a couple of years ago, existed in other places. You, you mentioned I'm now the chair of the International Federation of Health Plan, which is a, an international organization that brings health providers from around the world and CEOs from around the world to talk about best practices. Well, three years ago, I was talking with one CEO and in their health plan, more than 50% of the visits at that moment were remote care visits with physicians. 
And at the time in Canada was less than 1%. So I think there's, when we think of technology and how we use, it's also important to look outside our borders to understand what are other people around the world, other groups, other governments, other private companies doing in using technology. So when I think of what we do in Medivis, we look for those best practices to see what we can adopt and then adapt to our client base and the people that we serve and what would make sense. And some of it, then we decide, okay, we'll expand on the technology that we already have and build it internally. But a lot of cases, we just partner with another supplier to bring it to our our customers. And to me, that is really the best approach. There is some core systems that are essential to what we do in our um, uh, benefits management uh, operations. And there's some core systems that are essential in our health services operation. So we'll keep building and improving that with making significant investment. But other things are not core to us. And frankly, rather than trying to develop and, and duplicate what is done somewhere else, we look at best practices and then we establish partnerships. And we had done that pre-pandemic. We certainly have done that during the pandemic, and we plan to continue to do that post-pandemic. So the the let's let's really sort of hone in on the post-pandemic lens, if we can, and take out our crystal crystal balls. Um, if if uh, if you came back and chatted with us two years from now, let's say, or three years from now, um, and we picked up on some of the themes and the threads that we've talked about today, um, how are you hoping that the Canadian healthcare systems? will look from a sort of stronger, more resilient, more higher capability and capacity standpoint, let's say three years out, whatever the time frame is. And, and as, we, as we move from here to there, what are some of the metrics or measurements you, you personally or Medivy corporately is going to be looking at to see if those indicators are projecting us in a positive direction or in a negative direction? Well, let me, uh, first of all, let, let me build on something that you said in, in, in the question. So it's health systems. And I agree with you. When we think of health in Canada, we can't think of it as one system. First of all, there's all the provincial systems that are not quite identical. Sure, everyone's under the Canada Health Act, but there's more to it than what's under the Canada Health Act. And from province to province, there are some distinctions. And then you have all sorts of other uh, private non-government, some non-government funded um, organization that provide care. And then I'll take you back to something that you said early in, in, in this conversation is when you talked about uh, citizen-centered or patient-centered mm-hmm. care. That is one area we really need to improve. There's been some focus on this, of course. There's been some energy, some investments to do that. But I think we need to take it to the next level. And we really need to think of the people that use the system uh, first. And how do we design the system to really meet the needs of the patients, of the families, of the people that need care? And that will force us to change how we invest, how we develop systems, the technology that we use. And frankly, I think a lot of Canadians are looking for the same access, speed, um, you know, the, the, the responsiveness that they find in other sectors of the economy or society, they want to find that in healthcare. And right now, unfortunately, it's not the case. You know, it's, it's easy to book a flight. If, you know, think of pre-pandemic days, you, you want to book a flight to anywhere in the world, you can do it from your phone, you can pick your seat, you can even decide what you're going to eat on the plane, even if the, the flight is 10 months and three weeks and two days from now. And you, you'd know if where you are on the waiting list, if there's a waiting list for to be upgraded, for instance, on your flight. 
that's not a, that's not the experience that patients and people have in Canada with with healthcare, and I think it's incumbent upon us to use the tools that are existing now in other sectors and bring that to health to improve the experience of patients, um, because that is part of care. The part of care is not just when you get the final treatment or when you you get the medication that you need, is also the whole experience of getting there. Because if you have to wait a long time, if there's uncertainty, that can create other issues that can amplify your existing issue, that can create mental health issues. And that's why we need to look at how do we provide that care to improve the experience of the the patient and make it easier for the patient. There was an article just today in in one of the national newspapers that talked about the undetectables, detected now, you know, the, the, the side effects of the pandemic is a lot of people had surgery that were delayed. And unfortunately, some people died because of that, or some people will die sooner because of that. Those are real hard life consequences of that. So how, how do we, and it goes back to the initial conversation, how do we make sure we have flexibility and capacity in the system so we yeah. can deal with the next public health crisis without putting at risk the ongoing challenges uh, that are faced by patients? So one of the key things I, I truly believe is essential is that patient-centered experience. How do we design a system that makes it easier? And I think a lot of Canadians want more control and more say in their own health. So they, they want to be an active participant yeah. in their health rather than just being a passenger, if you will, in the healthcare system. And the other, of course, which is tied to all of this, is making sure that we, we adapt our system to make the employees, so the provider experience, better as well. Um, so we can't just look at the system for the system itself in a theoretic ways. We really have to look. And there's been a lot of work on this. I don't want to suggest no work has been done. There's been a lot of work and improvements. We just need to accelerate the uh, how we adapt and how we evolve in these two main fronts. Bernard, I'll ask you one more question if I can, and, and sure. then we'll, we'll free you to the rest of, of your day. Um, <laughs> I think one of the threads that sort of carried through our entire conversation is this notion that it is it is no longer reasonable or feasible to expect the public sector to do all of this by itself. And that the way we will get better in the future is to get better together. And that will mean new conversations and new engagements between public, not-for-profit and private. This comes through loud and clear from our conversation. I think it's a really powerful point. So, so with that kind of notion in mind, um, if, if the Bernard of 2021 went back and advised the Bernard of 2006, um, <laughs> you know, what are, what are, some of the, uh, you know, what, what are the one or two pieces of advice you might give to old you uh, in terms of, of um, that broader than public conclusion or realization that, you know, two decades later, we've now all sort of arrived at? Well, there's, there's a few things I, I would tell the, the, the younger version of me. One would be exercise more, uh, which <laughs> I do more now than I did when I was in office. But it is really um, to... And, you know, I, I didn't really hold back by then, but we, we, we need to embrace change. Mm. And sometimes, you know, there's, there's, there's pain that can come with, with change. There's, there's uncertainty that can come with change. But if we don't embrace change, we don't embrace the evolution, um, in the longer term, it will be worse. And, and frankly, when we look at what can be done in Canada, and if we try to limit this discussion to only government, then we're missing out on a big segment of the sector that can contribute to its success. 
And, you know, just I, I won't name who it was, but yesterday I was on a call with a regulator and, and in health. And what they told us, uh, we were a small group, and they said, they want this as a completely government organization. And they looked at what was able to be done in the pandemic in the private sector. And they said, we need to inspire ourselves from the private sector. And I believe that's true. And, but, you know, people hear words like private and they think of money and so on. We're a nonprofit organization. And so we've, but we invest a lot in technology. We embrace innovation. We know that we need to improve our service to keep our customers. And that is essential. And again, I mentioned it earlier, we need to learn from other parts of the world as well. So we, we can't be just focused on ourselves and look at our own challenges. There's a lot of other countries that face similar challenges in Western Europe, in Australia, in, in Asia, in even Southern countries. Aging population is not unique to Canada. Aging providers is not unique to Canada. The, the having access to the right medication at a cost that people can afford is not unique to Canada. And people in other parts of the world have found solutions that in some cases are better than ours. In other cases, our solutions are among the best. And so we need to share that with others in the world. That's one of the reasons that I'm involved with the International Federation of Health Plans is so we can have that cross transfer of knowledge and, and innovation. But that is key. So if, if there's, you know, to bring back to your question, I, I would tell the younger version of me to embrace innovation. I thought I did, but I wouldn't say do it even more. Bernard, this has been a fantastic conversation. I joked, semi-joked about bringing you back in two or three years. I think we should bring you back well before that. Uh, I think the thoughtfulness, the perspective, the insights you shared um, really feed into a lot of the conversations that we have around various Santa's tables. Um, And it was a pleasure having your voice added into uh, an important, vibrant, and and ever-changing policy mix. Um, Thank you for everything you've shared, um, for your thoughtfulness, and, and for this conversation. Well, Ross, thank you for for having me. I I enjoy the conversation. I I think it's important for us to have these conversations. And I appreciate the work that you do in making sure that these conversations happen in Canada. So thank you for having me today. And if you feel like having me again sometime in the future, please reach out. I'd love to do it again. Fantastic. Thanks, Bernard. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at Santas Health. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs.